It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. It's Light the Tower. Your daily look around the world of sports. With Hall of Fame broadcaster and voice of the Texas Longhorns, Craig Way, and Horns 24-7 insider, Jeff Howe. On your live, local, and independent home for sports talk in Austin, The Horn. Second hour of Life the Tower on the Horn, 1049, 1019, AM 1260. Streaming on the Horn app at hornfm.com. Craig Way, Jeff Howe, Cameron Parker alongside as well. Um, clean up from uh, hour number one. And uh, uh, we're talking about the uh, deal with uh, Joseph Osai being a real stand up guy. Uh, and you know, you felt so bad for him with what happened uh, at the end of the AFC Championship game with the late hit out of bounds, and yet uh, he answered all the questions that were coming his way in the locker room. And uh, Stoner said, all-time best example for me, Derek Harper answering every question in his locker after dribbling, dribbling out the clock in regulation of a tied playoff game against the Lakers, especially given they lost the game in overtime. I was there for that one, and uh, that was uh, his rookie season. 1984, I believe it was, and the uh, and the uh, it was two games to one, the Lakers, and the uh, Mavericks were holding for the final shot to uh, to win it and even the series, and uh, Derek was just dribbling out, dribbling it out, dribbling out, and then they started looking, and all of a sudden he looked up, and then he kind of raised his hands up like he thought they were ahead, but. He did the stand-up thing afterwards, faced the music, and said, I just lost track of the score. And Lakers won the game, and then they wrapped up the series it's, the next game. It's been, uh, it's been the case with a few guys I've covered at Texas. Pretty much any quarterback I've covered, they've been stand-up about mistakes they've made mm-hmm. and uh, and faced the music. I remember you know, Bijan did it after the fumble uh, against Texas Tech. Absolutely. Uh, sure did. I remember, I want to say it was... I want to say it was Chris Boyd had a big pass interference call late in the loss at Oklahoma State in 2018, and he came in to talk about it. So mm-hmm. more often than not, that's that's the best way to handle it. You get you you'll get credit for it because it's a tough thing to do. Everybody understands it's a tough thing to do, but you just rip the bandaid off, deal with it then, and then everybody can move on. Yep, yep, absolutely. Uh, another uh, headline note: uh, Kellen Moore, um, who. The way it was put yesterday was he and the Cowboys were parting company, and now he has joined a new company. He's the new offensive coordinator of the Los Angeles Chargers. So, so can Mike McCarthy, if he's going to call plays, can he hire a clock management coordinator if he doesn't need a play caller? Uh, huh. That's a good question. That's It'd be nice. Yeah. Uh, because their in-game situations sort of suck. Yeah, yeah. Execution uh, lacking. 
Yeah. Uh, we knew that the uh, the new AP uh, Top 25 College Basketball poll will be coming out. Yep. And you have it, Jeff. It's out. Thanks, Cameron, for uh, alerting me to this during the break. He was on top of it. Uh, Purdue still number one. Tennessee up to number two nationally after the win over Texas. Longhorns at number 10. Here's your Big 12 rundown. K-State at seven. Kansas at eight. Texas at 10. <laughs> Baylor at 11. Iowa State at 13. TCU at 15. Uh, and that's it for the uh, the Big 12 teams that are ranked in the poll. Okay. Uh well, so uh there's there's that. So they uh So you've got over half the conference ranked in the top fifteen in the AP poll right now. Okay. So so what um what we have then tonight is the number ten team in the country against the number eleven team in yep. the country. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh all right. So uh that'll be coming by the way, how about Shaka Smart and Marquette, Craig? Having a 17 really of, good season. Seventeen and five up to number fourteen. Having a having a very good season, no doubt, uh, and they uh, they could be they could be dangerous coming into the tournament. Watching uh, how they play, play really good defense, and uh, get some timely shooting. So, uh, I know heading into the weekend, according to Ken Pomeroy, they were number one in the country in adjusted offensive efficiency. Yeah. So really, uh, by the way, going back to the Big Twelve real quick. Uh huh. We talked about it late last week. How. You know, we were talking about the depth of the league and saying, man, Oklahoma is one of those teams that it just kind of feels like maybe it's teetering on the brink for them. But you talk about getting off the ropes and, you know, coming out with the last gasp. I don't know if that was their last gasp or not, but, man, they beat Alabama and it was uglier than what that final score looks like. Yeah. 93 69 over Bama. It, it was, was a blowout. Just a bludgeoning from start to finish. Um, So, yeah. So there's. You know that, and then and then looking around uh, that wrap up with the Big Twelve winning seven of the ten, the three teams that lost, Texas, Iowa State, and TCU were all in that ten, eleven, twelve, whatever uh, ranking area. They were mm-hmm. all right around that thing. Two of the losses were on the road, TCU falling in Mississippi State and Texas. Uh, I mean, in fact, all three losses mm-hmm. were on the road. Uh, TCU losing in Mississippi State, Texas at Tennessee, and Iowa State. At Missouri, the only one, I mean, uh, TC, of course, Mike Miles got banged up in that game as well, and that yeah. was a, t- a tough uh, deal for them. Um, the one that was really kind of head scratching was Iowa State because uh, they're playing Missouri, an unranked team, and just basically got worked. I mean, they were down, yeah, they were down nineteen in the first half. Yeah, the margin of victory surprised me. I, don't, I wasn't completely surprised they lost on the road. Yeah, but because right. we're talking about Missouri's not a bad team. No, they're not. Uh, and going on the road, that's always difficult. But yeah, losing by what is it? They ended up losing by well, it's a seventeen point loss. Yeah, seventy eight sixty one. Yeah, They're, from about the eight minute mark of the first half on, they were never in the game. Now Texas was down twenty two in the second half to Tennessee, but they cut it to ten and had, I think I said on the broadcast, two back to back trips down the floor to get it inside of double digits. Couldn't do it. The zone that Texas played. Helped them try to climb back into it because I think their zone, uh, I think the zone they played gave Tennessee some fits there in the second half after they had built the lead, but Texas couldn't get enough going offensively and um, and lost to a really good Tennessee ball club. Uh, had a great visit with Rick Barnes. I was going to ask you how that went. Well, this is how it went. Um, uh, I I there was a time that did was, you bring him a hot dog? By the way, uh, we talked about that. Uh, we did talk about the West Virginia dog, and we told some old stories to the uh, to the uh, Tennessee SID, 
Um, but, uh, but before I get to that, this is how it went chronologically. I had a time that I was supposed to visit with him at 440 Eastern time. So that's, what, an hour and 20 minutes before tip-off. And uh, he he was doing his pregame interview with Bob Kessling, the longtime play-by-play voice of the Tennessee Volunteers. And Bob and I had a great visit and chatted for a bit. And um, Tom Sokoviak, their, uh, their basketball SID, who does a fine job, came over and said, hey, are you ready to – we'll walk down there. And when he's ready, we'll do it. I said, okay, fine. So we're walking down there. At the time, Rick is – Talking to Rodney Terry and Chris Ogden, mm-hmm. and so they're all you know laughing and talking over some old times and all that stuff. I walk down to the end of the court, and he sees me out of the corner of his eye, and then he's like, to them, like, "Okay, I'm going to run in here and do this." He comes running up to me and throws an arm around my neck and kisses me on the cheek. <laughs> <laughs> and says, not surprised. How you doing, brother? I said, all right. He says, come on back here. Let's go back. Here. So then we go back and we sat down. But before we even did the pregame interview, their SID was there and he he asked me how the West Virginia hot dog was, and I told him. And then we told the story about him going up through the concession stand and buying ten of them. Uh, first, when he went to buy the four, and he didn't have his wallet with him, so Augie had to pay for it. And then <laughs> then he sent money up to to buy the other ones. Uh, then we started talking about, we were trying to find a place actually to do the interview because we went in their, their theater area and there was a player in there and he goes, no, 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 let's go over here. So then we got to go, we started to go to another area and there were two players in there and he goes, no, let's go around the corner here. And there was this one little, um, one little area by these video games. And I said to him, you know, we can, we can do it by the video games if you want. And he goes, We've done the interview in some places, and I looked at their SID, and I said, we did a pregame interview in Waco at the Farrell Center with him sitting on a forklift because there was a forklift right by the visiting locker room. And Rick <laughs> always liked to get in there. He tried to crank it up a couple of times. <laughs> so I said, so we did it there. Um, at Nebraska, we did it with him sitting on the pommel horse. It was over by their gymnastics. And then the big mats for wrestling, and he got down on all fours on the wrestling. And said, "Let's do it this way." While you, well, uh, so well, we did. And 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 Tom Sikoviak, their SID, said, "Nothing, absolutely nothing. You've told me has surprised me in any way, shape, or form." So we had a great visit. It, it, it was a lot of fun, and and uh, talked about a lot of things. And and uh, and he's got a good team. He's he's got size. Um, he's he's got great guard play. Um, you know, so they're. Um, I think Kamwa's big game was the one that was so impressive because he went in averaging, I think, 10 bo- points and six boards, and he had a, he had a huge game for them, Olivier Kamwa. Mm-hmm. And um, if he plays like that, as well as Zakai Ziegler and as well as some of the other guys, yeah, they uh, I could see them being a one seed and being very difficult to deal with. I, I would say this, though, Craig, about that game, if you're, if you're a Texas fan, about that game and about tonight's game and really the next three, regardless of the result, Trying to determine a national championship contender in college basketball in late January, early February. Can't do it off of that. It's like trying to determine a college football national championship contender in late September, early October. There's just so much basketball yep. left to be played. And so you you can't get too high. You can't get too low. I've just got a feeling, and, and maybe maybe Rodney Terry and this team will prove me wrong. i just got a feeling. Every team in this league has gone through that three- or four-game stretch where things get really difficult I just feel like this is setting up for Texas to go through one of those stretches. Uh, it could be. the good. Th- if there's any good thing about this week, though, I do like the fact our Monday night game is a home game, so there's no travel. And then whatever the inclement weather is this week should be done with it by the time they're ready to go to Manhattan at the end of the week. Yeah. 
and uh, should be able to get out of it from there. And then uh, and then from there, it's on to Kansas. Like I said, it's an unusual situation so here. You don't have to worry about, oh, my gosh, are we going to be able to get out? Are we going to be able to play? Can right. everybody get here? What's the, you know, you because don't have to worry let, about that. Because let me tell you, I'm glad you brought that up. There's some concern about the Texas women being able to get out tomorrow, and I'm I'm due to go out with them to West Virginia. Yeah. Now I'm also here to tell you the weather in West Virginia right now is better than it is here, but uh, there's a little concern with regard to if there's precipitation, all this stuff. If they can get out tomorrow afternoon, uh, to uh, it'd, it'd be early afternoon is the plan. So I'll be here tomorrow for the show, but it's uh, to to fly to uh, Morgantown or to. Bridgeport, as I've told that story about the airport that's 38 miles south of Morgantown, and then and then come home uh, after the game late on Wednesday night. So yeah, there there's a little bit of concern about that, but they're they're thinking everything's okay right now, mm-hmm. and that's the plan for them. And and of course the Texas women are tied for first place in the Big 12 as well. It's a two way tie with Iowa State. Iowa State beat Oklahoma over uh, over the weekend. All right, um, coming up. We have uh, a Flex 30 update. We also have, uh, coming up, a second hour Longhorn Notebook. Where are we headed with this particular notebook this hour? I got a couple of directions I can go. I haven't 100% decided You yet. also went over to baseball on Friday. I did. You we went talk, over there? We can talk some baseball. Yeah. I, we can do several different things. So. Yeah, yeah. So we'll get to might that. Be a, might be a potpourri notebook. I like that. Let's go around. A little cornucopia, right? Yeah, because like I said, I got... Three or four different things, and yeah. we just might do a little, bit, a little bit of everything. Little, little, uh, you know, uh, Golden Corral buffet, you know. Or for those of you who live in Round Rock, sirloin stock. I miss the, I miss Ryan's as a buffet. Spot. Ryan's, yeah, I know that was big for you there. All right, coming <laughs> we'll on, we continue to light the tower on the Horn 1049, 1019 AM twelve sixty live, local, and digital. The Horn app and hornfm.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Light the Tower. Light the tower on the horn. Craig Wade, Jeff Howe with you. And uh, before we get to our Longhorn Notebook this hour, let's get to our Flex 30 update. Flex ATX for the best high school sports coverage. Listen to the horn and go to flxatx.com. Flex 30 is brought to you by... 
Brain Vault. Brain Vault is a revolutionary and patented mouth guard that has been proven to help reduce the risk of concussion. Visit BrainVault.com and join the movement. Okay. Um, uh, the uh, I've got one basketball note. Did you uh, did you have a football? Got one thing real quick. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll talk about this throughout the week, but want to go ahead and get it started now. So, uh, Anthony Williams, who yeah. father of former Texas defensive back and NFL defensive back Aaron Williams, known Anthony for a long time. Uh, his group is putting on, and this is a really good deal, it's an unsigned senior showcase. Uh, unsigned seniors, actually high school underclassmen, junior college guys, and guys in the transfer portal. Uh, Going to have a showcase this Sunday at Dell Valley in their indoor facility, so you don't have to worry about the elements or anything else. Uh, it cost to register. It's $50 online, $75 for walk-up. Registration is going to start at 8 a.m. on Sunday. Again, we'll get more into the nitty-gritty about this during the week, but uh, it's combine-style testing. Uh, you get some, some competition. TexasFootballShowcase.com is where you want to go, especially uh, if you're if you've got an unsigned senior, if you're a high school kid listening to this, if you're an unsigned senior, JUCO guys looking for a home, transfer portal guys going to home. Uh, this will be watched by college coaches looking to fill out rosters. So uh, TexasFootballShowcase.com is where you want to go. Okay, uh, and one basketball note, and it's a girls' basketball note as well. Big time showdown tomorrow night, Battle of Pflugerville. Pflugerville against Henriksen, and uh, two state-ranked girls teams playing. And if you think, I don't know if I can get over there, weather not be bad, hey, my buddy Roger Wallace and his broadcast analyst, none other than Zay Collier, will be calling that game on KBVO tomorrow night. So live telecast of that game tomorrow night. Should be a pretty good matchup over there. I called the first meeting on Texan Live earlier in January. That was a great basketball game, great environment, going to be a great game. So check it out on KBVL tomorrow, guys. There you go. There you go. All right, there's our uh, Flex 30 update for today. Let's uh, sally forth. We move forward on to the Longhorn Notebook. Jeff Howe's Longhorn Notebook. Longhorn Notebook brought to you by Aaron Bowersock, the home loan expert, your Longhorn lender. Check her out on the web at Bowersock. Team.com. Uh, By the way, <laughs> Longhorn Bear says, please stop playing Zay singing. Oh, I like it. <laughs> maybe, maybe you'll sing some more when you get to the top of the hour here. <laughs> so it kind of grows on you like a fungus bear. Just hang with it there, okay? Right. I enjoy it. Um, so Texas, Wednesday, and, and I, I stress the, the word tentatively here. Yeah. Steve Sarkeesian's tentatively scheduled for a press conference Wednesday morning. Okay. At some point Wednesday, but I've heard Wednesday morning. There's nothing official on it because you've got one prospect that we know of that Texas is trying to flip, that being Warren Roberson, the Red mm-hmm. Oak defensive back committed to TCU. Uh, Hudson Standish, we talked about this, our crew at Horns 24-7. Hudson Standish put in a 24-7 sports crystal ball prediction for Texas to flip Warren Roberson on Friday. My colleague Mike Roach followed up with one over the weekend, so things look to be heading in the right direction there with Warren Roberson. But wow. Wednesday okay. will be the big day. Wednesday is the, the first day of the traditional 
signing period. I can't, you can't even say the real signing period anymore, correct? Because the real signing period now is the one that happens in December. So that's mm-hmm. when the bulk of these guys sign. So Deuce, uh, Deuce Robinson, also the tight end out of the state of Arizona, really talented two-sport prospect. Uh, he's coming down to making a decision. You can get over to Hornets 24-7 to check out the latest on what's left for Texas in the 2023 class. But again, I, th- I think if you're going to hear from Sark, tentatively it's scheduled for Wednesday, but nothing is set in stone as far as I know yet. Uh, and it's going to be a quiet day for Texas. Outside of Warren Roberson, there's just not a whole, and Deuce Robinson, just not a whole lot, at least that we know of right now, that's scheduled to happen. Something could pop up here in the next 24 to 48 hours, but that would be unexpected at this point wow. if something really came to the forefront. So going to be a quiet Wednesday. But I think it would be good to hear from Sark for a couple of reasons. Craig, one, the hiring of Chris Jackson can talk about the mm-hmm. wide receivers coach situation and the additions of the transfer portal in from the transfer portal that have happened since – the uh, signing day press conference yep. back in December. You know, Jalen Catalan is a part of that group. A.D. Mitchell is a part mm-hmm. of that group. Uh, also, DeAndre Moore was added late. Tosilia Connor was added late. And Moore's on campus right now. So uh, it's quite a bit of stuff Sark can go through uh, talking about this class. And then kind of mm-hmm. – Reporters can ask him if Arch found his ID. Arch found his ID. Yeah, yeah how some of those newcomers are doing on campus. And, and I, the, the key thing for me when – Talking to Sark, if Sark does talk on Wednesday, the key thing for me is what does he reveal in terms of what are they looking at from a number standpoint? Because I know he doesn't really want to talk specific positions they're targeting. What are they looking at, generally speaking, from a number standpoint in terms of guys that they're going to add? Because you're at the point now, the more you add, now you're you're counting on having that attrition. Because, again, I'll stress this, Craig, because I can't say it enough. You're in an uncapped year when it comes to initial counters. You're not bound to that 25 in one year and worrying about can you how many can you roll back? How many how many did you roll back? How many can you roll forward? Whatever the case is, you don't have to worry about that. All you have to worry about is when everybody gets here this summer, as long as you're not over 85, you're fine. So how many more can they plan on adding? And if that number, I think if that number is over over three, two or three. Expect a healthy amount of post-spring attrition, and you would expect some anyway, just because how happens the, the amount of young guys you have on this roster, guy with one-time transfer, guys are just going to see an opportunity to play elsewhere, and that could be some older guys maybe deciding, hey, I may be done playing, I may just want to sit this one out, get my degree, and and kind of retire from football and go the academic route and mm-hmm. figure out whatever's next. It's a number of ways you can do it, but. Uh, that's kind of the focus for me now in terms of roster building going. It's not necessarily high school recruits you're going to add. It's what are you looking to add? How many are you looking to add from the portal? And he might not know the answer to that because there might be, knock on wood, there might be an injury that takes place during spring ball or maybe an unexpected attrition happens, and now you're thinking, okay, we we have to add a a tight end or, uh, you know, an off-ball linebacker, running back, whatever it is that necessarily we weren't necessarily planning on taking because you've had something something go wrong in one of those position groups. How about this text from our good friend, the great Eric Raines, Coke FM. It says, weird seeing Jimbo and Saban at Lake Belton last Friday. Apparently Sark helicoptered in also. Micah Hudson. Wow. Yeah. Want to take a look at Micah Hudson, right? Yeah. So uh, kind of had an all-star cast out there for that. He might be the top receiver in the country in the 2024. Certainly the top in the state, wouldn't you think? Yes, in the 2024 class. Yeah. Made a junior day visit to Texas, uh, not this past weekend, but the weekend before. Yeah. An unexpected visit. Uh, shout out to our crew at Horns 24-7 for, 
for being on top of that. So that's pretty much going to do it for the football part of this. I wanted yes. to get into that because there's just not a whole lot to get into. One thing I want to mention on the basketball front, Craig, mm-hmm. you know, you go through the box score from the Tennessee game and just see kind of the lack of production you got from some of your frontline guys. Uh, Marcus Carr, 11 points, probably the worst shooting night he's had in a while. Uh, but this, courtesy of Scott McConnell in the uh, Sports Information Department over at Texas, uh, in 13 games under Rodney Terry, Marcus Carr's averaging 19.4 points per game. He's shooting 48.6% from the field, mm-hmm. 44.2% from three, and he's 84% from the foul line. So he's flirting with being one of those 60-40-80 guys. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and and let me also tell or, you I'm this. sorry, 50-40-80 guys. Um, he was shooting 60% from the field. He'd have a hell of a story on our hands. Yeah, he would be. Um, the foul, 11 seconds into the game, I think really kind of just set him back a little bit, kind of threw him off his stride. And then he picked up a second one, uh, what, four minutes into the game, mm-hmm. I guess it was. And so that really handicapped a lot of what he was he was going to do. And I think that was, that was a big part. They had a little bit of difficulty navigating – uh, the way the game was officiated because the way, and I'm not blaming anything on officiating, I'm talking about they had a difficult job uh, navigating how it was being officiated. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eddie Orn pointed out that they didn't protect the shooters that much, but they were really watching the bumping and grinding that was going a lot inside, and they were real big on watching screens. I, I've mentioned this, that SEC officials, and, and that was an SEC crew, ACC officials and Big East officials. I, I grew up seeing this uh, in ACC country, and I can tell you, if, if they were to pull the numbers, ACC officials, Big East officials, and to a lesser extent, SEC officials call more offensive moving screen fouls than you'll see anywhere else in the country. More than the Big 12, more than the Big 10, more than the Pac-12, more than the other G5s. If you If you were to see that, they are very highly attuned and uh, dialed into calling offensive fouls and moving screen fouls. And you just have to adjust to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just you just have to get used to it. That's I grew up seeing it, and, and I've seen it that way for years and years, and uh, seeing guys like uh, Jim Burr and John Clockerty, you know, those guys, uh, Jerry Donaghy, those guys call lots of offensive fouls. And uh, Tim Higgins, uh, that, that you know, stuff moving. They're watching a lot of stuff going off the ball as well. So you have to just have to adjust if if things happen like that. Uh, one other note on basketball that I want to get to before we talk some Longhorn baseball. Yeah, uh, Adam Finkelstein, my colleague at twenty four seven Sports on the national side. Before the weekend's games, he had an article grading the five the five star freshmen, uh, the freshman prospects across the country sure. who are five star guys in, a, in the twenty twenty two recruiting cycle. Uh, he gave Dylan Mitchell a B. Now, Dylan Mitchell did not have a great game on Saturday. Uh, pretty much goose eggs across the board. He had one point in 11 minutes. Uh, so the stats are modest for a former top 10 recruit, but the reality is Mitchell has never been the type of player who needed to score a lot of points to make an impact. I think we've seen that this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, what he has done is utilize his athleticism and energy to help Texas to, at the time, a 17-3 record despite extreme adversity after Chris Beard's arrest and subsequent firing. Craig, I think when you look at Dylan Mitchell, he reminds me of a lot of guys we've seen for the past few drafts that uh, you'll see guys go into the draft and there'll be lottery picks 
that you look at their numbers from college, you're like, dude, this guy averaged six points and four rebounds a game. How is he a top 10 pick? And then you see the highlight reel, and you're like, oh, he's long, he's uber-athletic, and the upside is there. I think you're at the point, Shaka used to say this about his young guys, uh, you know, whether it was Mo Bamba or whoever, uh, Jarrett Allen, you know, he's gonna he's not gonna play his best basketball at the University of Texas. Hopefully, the best basketball he plays is four or five years down the road when he's an NBA veteran working towards getting that second contract. Yeah, uh, I always and I think that's the case for Dylan Mitchell. Yep, and I always lean on a guy like Eddie Orn to tell me about it because Eddie not only is a former coach of so long and knows so much basketball far more than he's forgotten far more basketball than I'll ever remember. Uh, or that I'll ever learn, but he's also a, a scout for the Brooklyn Nets. And Eddie looks at the game differently, and uh, and when you ask him about Dylan Mitchell, he would tell you you know the, the spec stuff and the way that he approaches the game, those are his plus side mm-hmm. things. Yeah. And he will tell you that probably what NBA teams will want to see more uh, from Dylan, because um, he'll – you know, uh, he thinks that he'll be back for a sophomore year and that what they'll want to see more is a little more of a mid-range game. They want to see him be able to shoot the ball a little mm-hmm. bit more. Uh, that would be it. Otherwise, uh, NBA scouts love him. Just yeah. think that he's, you know, he's got all those skills and all those skills. These are the same guys, by the way, who, uh, and Eddie was right at the top of the list, who was saying, you know, um, Jackson Hayes is a guy that uh, you can go. Uh, Jared Allen. Mm-hmm. Is is a guy that you know you need to uh, really be taking. Jericho Sims is starting for the Knicks yeah. these days, so those guys who have the skill sets and can do it, they just need to develop a few other elements of the game, like the outside shot. Uh, Arterial or so Dylan Mitchell from Adam Finkelstein at twenty four seven Sports. He got a B minus for the season he's put together so far. Arterio Morris gets a C plus. Uh, this is from Adam. He's played steady rotation minutes on a Texas team that has played well in the face of adversity. Although he's been behind Marcus Carr, Tyrese Hunter, and Serge Ibari Rice, that has helped ease the burden of his transition since he's understandably talented but not yet ready for a much bigger role on a team with Final Four aspirations. I think that perfectly sums up kind of where Arterio yep. Morris is right now. I totally agree. Uh, and when he can get a little more comfortable with what they're asking of him defensively, Clearly, he's yeah. comfortable in the offensive set and can take shots and things like that. He had five quick points off the bench on Saturday when the Longhorns were keeping it uh, relatively close in the first half when he had to go into the game early because Marcus Carr had the two early fouls. Yeah, and I think that's the difference between basketball such a different dynamic than football. Uh, you know, you see a lot of guys come from you know high school, public school programs, uh, and there's a kind of a nat- you know just a a more traditional process for football prospects getting acclimated to the college game. With basketball, guys that go to places like Montverde or Oak Hill mm-hmm. or you know, wherever, uh, La La Mer, the, the big basketball factories, those guys seem more acclimated at the start, whereas a guy like – I think we saw this from Greg Brown a little bit, and I think this is kind of where Arterio is right now. And I heard this about Arterio at the McDonald's game, you know, playing at Kimball, even though he plays summer ball and, and things like mm-hmm. that like everybody else does – Seemed like the game was maybe moving just a little bit fast for him, you know, being on the on the floor with similar athletes, similar skill sets. It took some adjusting, and I think you're seeing that. But uh, he's got a chance to be a really good player down the road. Uh, uh, anything it, else you wanted to add? Yeah, Craig? yeah. yeah. Um, when we had Longhorn Weekly the other night, and I had Dylan Mitchell on, I asked him about the adjustment at Montverde Academy, and there was a little bit of adjustment there because uh, the adjustment 
from that to college basketball, the transition was a little smoother because he was already living away from home. Now, he said it was kind of weird because there weren't a lot of students uh, there at Montverde. And he goes, and it was like K through 12. So he would like walk out of class and walk another, and he'd be walking a second grader along with him to class <laughs> or something. Yeah. So, uh, but he's he's such a joy to be around. Uh, I can see where Dylan would really enjoy that, would like that. Yeah. He's a great kid. And uh, so he got a little bit of adjustment. And I asked Rodney Terry about that, about the differences, not good versus bad or ahead versus behind, but the differences, the nuanced difference between recruiting an academy guy Mm -hmm. and a public school guy like an arterio or something like that and rodney said uh well i'm certainly not going to tell you that uh, academy guys are way ahead of public school guys because there's some great great public school guys that come out and there's great coaching in our texas high school our, our our public schools he said it is different in that what he said what dylan said about living away from home it's a little bit different in how they comport themselves but in terms of the basketball skill set he said you know the the public school guys get great education and great skill set training as well mm-hmm. and kibble's one of those traditional powers in fact i think they're ranked near the top uh, right now with the 5a poll mm-hmm. so uh so let's talk some longhorn baseball yep. uh met with david pierce uh lucas gordon and dylan campbell on friday the first day of full squad stuff and they had actually had a scrimmage on uh friday i had to run i had to bail but i did stick around for batting practice uh talking to david pierce uh, we'll get more into it but uh, a lot of people want to know hey what's the timeline look like for tanner witt we even talked about it last week uh, he made the preseason all Big Twelve team, so it's yeah. like, oh, is he? I guess he's accelerated his progress, well, and, right? And David was even talking about this, uh, you know, kind of that all preseason all Big Twelve team with the coaches vote. It's like, man, some of those positions is like, there's so there's there are a lot of guys that have played a lot of baseball, but at the same time, there's so much turnover in the league from one year to the next. Like, man, who who do you vote for for this thing? And he and he can't vote for his own players, right. so right. that's uh-huh. the other coaches in the league voting for Tanner Witt. Sounds like if. It, he said he's ahead of schedule, doing a great job, but the probably the earliest you're looking at getting him back on the mound, probably early to mid-April, yeah. at the earliest. Yeah. So maybe... So to add him to a preseason All-Big 12 team yeah. might be a bit premature. Yeah, exactly. You're hoping by the conference tournament he's getting Sound. up to where he's... Yeah. yeah, you can rely on him. But again, even even if you get him on the mound in early to mid-April... You're gonna. It might be. You know, it'll have to be one inning, and then really see. He's how still the, ramping up. Yeah, see how the rest goes and the recovery, and then you know, just kind of slowly build him up to where at some point, hopefully, he's able to be the, the caliber starting pitcher that. And I, I asked, I asked David this because I'm curious to know. Uh, you know, every it's a case by case basis with everybody, but is there something that he's noticed over the years? Guys coming off of TJ. There's something kind of universal with the recovery process that he notices. He said most guys struggle with really knowing, getting comfortable throwing hard again and really knowing at what point can you just let it go mm-hmm. and and be that high velo guy again. And, and how much, at what mm-hmm. point do you trust? He said, getting it's kind of like the wide receiver with the coming off the ACL. Yeah, yeah. You're getting over that hump of really, okay, I feel good, I'm confident, I'm comfortable, now I can go turn it loose. That's the kind of the hump a lot of those guys have to get over. Now Tanner's going to go through some of that down the road. Here's a two-part question. And, it, and it's it, I always liked it when somebody would call in and ask Brad Sham, uh, I got a two-part question, and it'd be like Cowboys and then the Mavericks. He could say, no, those are two separate questions. It's not a two-part. <laughs> but this is a two-part when I get the answer to the first part. Did anyone ask him, did he say who right now his starting shortstop is? 
Uh, he said if if the season started today, it would be Mitchell Daly. Exactly. And here's the second part, which makes it a two-part question. How has the transition gone for Mitch moving from second to short? Because that was going to be one of the key question marks going into this year. If Mitchell's moving to short, how's the transition working for him moving from second to short? So, so far, so good. Yeah. Uh, you know, Kate O'Hara is a guy they, they mm-hmm. really like in terms of his defensive ability, but Mitch is ahead yep. offensively, and he's one of your veteran guys you like having him there. The second base could be turning into a little bit of a battle mm-hmm. with Jack O'Dowd mm-hmm. and Jaden Duplantier. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had a really good fall, really good winter. Uh, he's going to get a chance. Trey's uh, younger brother, right? Yes. Yep. Uh, uh, Dre, yeah, Dre. Trey's yeah. younger brother. Yeah. Andre yeah. Duplantier's yes. younger brother. Jayden. I thought you said Trey for a second. No, no. Dre. I'm so used to seeing Trey Faltini and Silas yeah, right. and some of those guys. Uh, the, the catching situation, you know, Peyton Powell's a guy that's been mm-hmm. injured for the better part of the last two years. Yep. And he, he's in that mix. Ryan Galvan's in that mix. Uh, Garrett Golmete, the transfer from SC, is in that mix. The, the two guys they're really excited about, and Craig, you know this from because we heard about them back in the fall, their progress through the fall, through through what they did in the winter, and now getting back to full squad. Jared Thomas is a true freshman, probably going to be your starting first baseman out of Waxahachie. Jalen Flores out of Brandeis in the San Antonio area, probably going to be your starting third baseman yep. as a freshman. It, kind of, it really reminds you of kind of maybe what that 2020 season was going to be when you had Silas Ardwan and Trey Faltini and some of those young guys starting as freshmen. Uh, but, and then it gets shut down 17 games into yeah. the year. And then the outfield, it's a veteran outfield, Eric Kennedy, uh, you know, Porter Brown's a guy that mm-hmm. I've heard a lot of really good things about that could it's gonna factor into that mix. But between, you know, Eric Kennedy, uh Dylan Campbell out there too, Porter Brown, you know, Ace Whitehead mm-hmm. maybe taking on a bigger role. Uh it's gonna be some talent there. And, you know, as far as your rotation, Zane Morehouse is a guy that apparently has, has made some strides. So uh I, I do I think unlike the and, and I think unlike the last couple of years, kind of two part of Ramirez here, unlike the last couple of years, I think it's might take you a little bit to kind of figure out what roles are going to be where it's not as clearly defined as it was when you got a veteran team. Right. And I asked David about some of the differences. He said, you know, one of the differences for him, he said kind of when you've got an older team, it, it kind of runs itself to an extent because those guys, if your culture's good and guys know how to work, you don't necessarily have to do a lot of teaching. He said what's been exciting for him this offseason, he said he's really gotten back to actually teaching baseball again. He said that's been really exciting for him. No doubt about it. Uh, Somebody on Specs text line said, uh, your interview with Coach Barnes was so touching when at the end he said, I love you, Craig, and you responded, love you too. He did, and I did. Uh, You know, you get close to people over time, not just Rick, but uh, I had great relationships. Always, it's been great. Uh, you know, with Mac Brown, with Augie Garrido, uh, with 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 all of the coaches that we've had, uh, you know, Jody Conrad, Gail Gestoncourt, uh, you know, Karen Aston, now Vic Schaefer on the women's side, David Pierce with Longhorn Baseball, and um, and and even you know uh, the the football coaches that came afterwards. I had great relationships with Charlie Strong and Tom Herman, and now with Sark. I mean, you get to know these people, and you get close to these people, and uh, and there is a love and an affection that goes on. No By the way, about. when you going over to uh baseball facility to pick up your wedding present yeah i know uh if Susan, coach if you're listening yeah. we just want this on the air publicly so yeah, i did talk to craig about it on friday but 
David would be the first to tell you that Susan went out and got the <laughs> wedding gift. <laughs> and it's been sitting over in his office for probably a couple months now, I would say. I haven't had a chance. And, and there were a couple of times when I could have gone over to them when he was out of town. But we'll work it out. And that was that was great of them, very nice of them, uh, thinking that. Yes, the same ace whitehead from Lampasas, yes, uh, on that. Oh, so Boogie putt potentially out in right field, maybe center field, who knows. Absolutely. All right, we'll be back to wrap up today's edition of Light the Tower on the Horn. Well, we'll get ready to wrap this one up. Hey, uh, wrap this up here, Jeff, with uh, these words. Somebody said it took Morgan Cooper a full season before he was back to normal yep. coming off of that, the TJ. But here, for Jeff anyway, the most important news of the day. Good way to close the show. Cocaine Bear tickets on sale at Alamo Draft House. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's make it happen. The three of us probably be headed for some people bear are rushing to get taylor swift tickets i'm rushing to get for cocaine bear cocaine bear all right stay tuned chad zay are up next for our man behind the glass of producer cameron parker and for my co-host jeff Howell. i'm craig Wade. thanks for joining us tonight texas and baylor 7 30 airtime eight o'clock tip off longhorns and baylor bears here on the horn